Hello and welcome to the Squeaky Bum Time Podcast. It is still Thursday, September 14th. In this episode, Potter kicks it off with Chelsea and his man. Holland invokes Johan Cruyff in a city comeback. Liverpool put get themselves off the schneid. But first, Mike! Where is Mike? Mike is not here. He is on assignment actually going to see the red hot chili. I want to do today is just start out by saying, one, thank you for being here. Thank you for joining the show. If it's your first time here, please, please, please subscribe to the show. It really means a lot. Just wherever you go, wherever you are on Apple, just hit subscribe and join the show. We we record twice a week on Tuesdays and Fridays or Mondays and Thursdays, depending on the week. Um, and we're going to cover in this episode Potter's first game with Chelsea. What happened to Tottenham in the Champions League? Liverpool getting back off the schneid after their defeat against um, Napoli. Where things went for City and United. And we're going to go through the entire weekend fixture list in the Premier League after the cancellations from the death of Her Majesty the Queen. But first, we are going to go to the scores for the Champions League, and we're going to go there right now. Okay, here we go. Scores, friends, scores. Uh, let's see. Is it like this or like this? This way is better. Okay, scores for the Champions League. The early game, Inter, dispatch, Victor, plays in 2-0. Tottenham lose to Sporting, and we'll go into that in a minute. Liverpool defeat Ajax at home. Bayern 2, Barcelona nil. This was not as close as it looked. Barca played really well. Club Bruges defeating Porto. That's big for Club Bruges. Eintracht Frankfurt and Marseille avoid massive amounts of violence uh, in Frankfurt's 1-0 win. Leverkusen, this is a big week for Germany. Defeat Atletico. Wow. Shakhtar and Celtic go to a draw. Uh, a draw. Milan defeat Zagreb, something Chelsea couldn't do. Rangers lose again, this time to Napoli at home at the Ibrax. Yay, yay, yay. Chelsea, and we're going to cover this one as well. 1 1 versus RB Leipzig. Real Madrid are getting all the plaudits. They win 2 0. Copenhagen, Sevilla, 0 0. That only makes a difference to me. Sorry, Sevilla, Copenhagen, 0 0. That makes a difference to me because that's City's group. Then Juventus lose to Benfica. Oh my God, I watched this. Juventus are fucking terrible. PSG. The three-headed monster of Neymar, Mbappe, and Messi. All score. They defeat Maccabi Haifa. Why the Israelis are in the Champions League, I don't know. And City come from behind to defeat Borussia Dortmund. One, two to one on a John Stones wonder strike and a Holland karate. Unbelievable. But first, we are going to go to Stanford Bridge and Graham Potter's Chelsea. So, what happened in this game? How did my boy do? I'm going to tell you. He came out in a black suit. He got a fresh haircut, as we all do whenever we start a new job. And he did some strange things. Uh, one of the things Potter always does is he kind of doesn't, when he sets in his lineups out, he doesn't really tell anyone where anyone's going to be. So, you kind of have to suss it out as the game is going. And what we found out is that there was a back three um, with weirdly Raheem Sterling as a wing back with Reese James, but not so fast, my friend. This is not weird because 
Potter has been using that wing back in a back three. One of them is always really attacking. So he used to have Leandro Trasson on that side. He'd have Pasquale Gross. So this, for any for any Brighton supporter or follower, is not new. This is what he would do. But it is weird to see Raheem Sterling, when they would fall back, be all the way out defending. But he barely had to defend. But that was one thing that was different. So this game looked very, very Brighton-y to me. Uh, overall impressions, I thought Chelsea looked a little bit faster, a little bouncier. You would have expected that because they had a new manager and the guys are trying to impress. Uh, that was a question that came up for a club like Chelsea, and I'll pose it to the to the group later. But more of this game, the lineup's very straightforward. Interesting, I don't know if Kepa is going to become the goalkeeper over Mendy. I know Mendy's hurt, but we'll see. One thing I did find interesting, Aspilicueta and Silva, no Fofana, no Koulibaly. So that was a little bit different. And... Um, Cucurella in the back as well, along with Reese James, Mount, Jorginho, Kovacic, Sterling. So that same three in the middle that sort of held things together, and then Aubameyang and Havertz up front. Now, if you know a little bit about our friends from Brighton, the Aubameyang role is the one that's not going to work because, weirdly, <laughs> I can't believe I'm going to say this, Aubameyang can't do barf what Danny Welbeck can do. <laughs> laugh, laugh, laugh. Danny Welbeck is a lot of things. The problem was is that he couldn't finish. Aubameyang's the opposite. Aubameyang can't do a lot of things, but he can finish. So he gets the numbers and he can do things when you play a certain way. But what Chelsea were lacking was a target man. And that did come up when Brozier came on later. So I thought overall it was okay. It was a little bit brighteny. I think Potter has to have time. Uh, I think there's a, I mean, there's a lot to like. I think a lot of people want Potter to do well. And, you know, from the show, I've been talking about Potter forever. And Chelsea did get the goal early, a nice Raheem Sterling goal. One of the goals that he can score. He came in from the left side there and um, on a, on a sort of let, on a, on, a, on a wicked cross from Mount who had gone out wide and then fired it across. Sterling, Sterling stopped it, touched it and slotted it into the top corner. And Chelsea were up a goal, playing fine early in the second half. The first half, really not much to write home about, but Chelsea controlled, played a little bit better, little stuff. And RB Salzburg were doing the Rangnick uh, thing that they do, which is play very, very narrow. So the sides were free, and Chelsea were doing that. He just couldn't really get anything going yet. But I would say on balance, Chelsea were by far better, by far, should have won this game. And I think, you know, Potter said after the game, hey, this was a game we would win. We're disappointed with the result, but ultimately they know that he played well. So it's a building block. Um, the bird came a little late in the 75th minute on a slip by Tiago and a little bit of a slow reaction by Aspilicueta. It's a little bit weird having those two older and slower defenders in the side. It kind of makes you wonder. You're just like, ooh. Why are those guys in the team? What are they doing in there? Um, there was one substitution that was a little weird seeing Sterling come off. He got a little bit frustrated. Um, Aspilicueta came out for ZH later on. You saw Gallagher on for Kovacic. There was a little bit of stuff like that. On the goal itself by Rhett, by, by Salzburg, um, Kovacic had gone down and they didn't play it out. So in that moment, Chelsea were down a man. I mean, it's it's not controversial, but I think it was a little bit 
funky in that moment. So a little bit there. Um, but overall, as a as a Potter watcher, <laughs> um, I think this was okay. Um, I think Potter's got to have time. And then it does come down to the question. I think something to think about for Chelsea fans is how much how much is the adaptation to manager who is it on do the players have to adapt to potter or does potter have to adapt to um to the players and i think it depends on the club like for a club like chelsea with all the history it has and institutional kind of turmoil that it's had over the years i think this is a case where potter has to win over the players over the players having to win over Potter on a tactical level. Sure. The players still have to perform for Potter to get to like him in his good graces, whatever, but how that relationship manifests within the institution of Chelsea and how that whole process works. And if the institutional energy of Chelsea that the fans have adopted, which is this sort of, Results, 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 trophies, trophies, trophies. If you if three games are lost in a row, it's a crisis. Can Potter manage to keep the team on side in those moments while he's trying to build out this new thing? Because in order for Potter to function, I think, in the long run, if this is indeed a long-term project, he needs to get the team and the club on side. The fans have to be on side. He cannot pick fights with the fans. He did have a little bit of a fight that he picked with Brighton, one where the fans booed them after like their fifth draw in a row. And Potter in, in an interview said, where are we at the table? We're the highest we've ever been. That's not going to fly at Chelsea. So that first moment of adversity that Potter has to navigate, how does he do it? How does he keep the fans on side? Does the football that he plays allow him the time so that people can see progress? I believe in Potter. I think he can do it. But these are the questions that I think Chelsea are going to have to ask themselves. On a tactical note, on a bigger note, Chelsea are last in their group. Um, you know, they, they now play Inter Milan twice. They're not in bad shape because no one's really pulling up trees in their group. But they do have it all to play for. And, you know, Potter may not get out of this group, especially after having lost to Salzburg and having lost, having drawn with Salzburg and having lost to Zagreb. I mean, he's got to pick these games up on the back end. It might be nine points, 10 points is going to get him through. He's going to have to get at least four from uh, from Inter and see where he is after that. Chelsea do not have another game. They Their game is postponed in London due to the Her Majesty's funeral. And we can get into Her Majesty's fucking her majestiness but uh i think that's a lot to be said about chelsea and where they are the next step i want to go to is i want to talk about <laughs> poor old spurs having um headed to sporting lisbon hostile crowd but spurs have been getting by and mike is very sensitive so i'm glad to be able to talk about spurs without mike losing his fucking shit they've been able to get by without sun really firing with Kuliszewski, who had been their more creative force in those early games where you felt like, wow, Spurs are really going to kick on. And now Richarlison is pushing into the team, and it's been Kuliszewski who's come out. Seems like the midfield is solidified. 
with with Betancourt and Hoybier. We're not seeing Basuma mixing into that yet. And the creativity is not there. Defensively solid. I think there's a little bit of a of a Mourinho quality to this team, except Mourinho just said, we're playing defense the rest of the game, and the team couldn't. In this case, Conte is asking the team to defend, and they are able to, but in this case, they're not able to see out the draw against um, against Sporting. It was not a great watch. It was pretty tough on on the things. Everything was very even. Um, shots on target equal. Shots on goal. Shots shots on target equal. The number of passes relatively close. So these teams basically played the same. Um, so not really much between them. Sun again not getting off the mark. Uh, Spurs had chances. The weak link again has been Emerson. He's just not able to create enough. Or when he gets in the offensive third, he he ends up on the end of things and he's not scoring those goals. I think within the concept of 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 um, Conte's wingbacks, one of them has to score. Perisic we know can cross. He's got more talented. But I think sometimes that that overload, that wide area space, allows for someone to be on the end of things, and he's always the free man. And if Emerson is not going to score those goals that they need, uh, I think he's going to be problematic. I, of course, want to see my son, Sessegnon, there. I really love Sessegnon. I think he's comes in as a winger, scored 10 or 15 goals with Fulham three years ago, four years ago now, and uh, things look good there. But the hero or the standout player in this game was uh, a friend from Spurs past, uh, Marcus Edwards, who made a run in this game that, had he scored it, would have been an all-time run maybe 10 yards in from the halfway line. And he goes past four Spurs players to get a shot on goal. And he almost puts it in. And if he had put that in, he would have become an immediate legend. Now he's five foot six when he famously, when he was on, um, when he was on Spurs books, Pochettino called him mini Messi or English Messi. And so that got, a lot of people's, a lot of people's um, hair up, and from there that was a little bit problematic. And he did something that English players have had to do of late, which is go abroad. And I think for if you know about working class English kids, going abroad is not something they do. And we should commend him for spending two years at Vitoria in in Portugal, and then making the move to Sporting. And hopefully he'll get his move back to England. But he was really lively, really cool to see a tiny little guy sort of dribbling through and scoring goals. He's got four goals so far for Sporting. He'll be in a really good side where his attacking prowess can show. So that was interesting. When you do the pod by yourself, your throat goes. So you gotta, you gotta, you gotta drink. You gotta drink. Um, Spurs's game. I'm just checking. Is on. Tottenham will be playing Leicester this week. They're one of the games that is being played. So they'll be looking to get back into their winning ways. And I think for them, it's more about the performance. Spurs have got to start connecting. I sort of felt one of the things I noticed as I was watching the sporting game, and Mike would be able to correct me if I'm wrong, it seemed that Kane wasn't dropping deep enough or he felt the need to stay high. The best passer on 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 Spurs 
is Harry Kane. And he's got to be able to play deep and get balls to Sun. Now, Sun not playing well is a problem. And I think it might be getting near time for it to be Kulishevsky, Kane, Richarlison and give give Sonny a break. But I'm not sure when that's going to happen. Conte's being loyal. Conte's letting him play through it. But right now, Sun's just not playing well. And the confidence is starting to drain out of him. But I'm interested to see where Spurs are, how they're going, where they're going to go to next, and, and what's happening with them. Um, I mean, I, I don't think it's time to panic. But I do think Spurs need to get their performances up. They've been having their results. But they're not quite in gear. Just like our next friends. <laughs> our friends in Liverpool. Liverpool coming off the first mini crisis in since the injury season, but he had an excuse. Klopp really had to rally his troops, and nothing like Thiago Silva and Joel Matip coming back into your team to sort of repair the damage. So Liverpool have Ajax. We talked about this earlier. Um, Ajax are, a, are one of the aristocracy of Europe. They're not going to come in there and be afraid. Granted, they rebuilt their whole team. Only Daly Blind is a name you know. Maybe Dusan Tadic is still there. But they have a lot of good players and they have a philosophy. They have a way that they play. So um, Liverpool had Thiago, had Fabinho, had Matt Tip back in the team. And that made all the difference. They looked like Liverpool. Uh, early in the game, Salah scored within the first, you know, 15 minutes. That really settled the nerves. Things started going well for them. They really controlled this game and really could have scored a lot more goals. Um, you look at the shots. Liverpool had 24 shots, 10 on target. Ajax had three and only one on target and scored a goal. They weren't that high in possession. The accuracy wasn't there, so there was some sloppiness. But what I did notice from Matip, who did get the winner in the 89th minute, it would have been it was a very contested game, a good game. Um, was that Matip made a difference because he'd pick up the ball from defense and carry it forward. And all that, he just kept doing that. And that just made everything free up for all those passes, all those little things that we saw that Liverpool do. And then Thiago being that next step when Matip wasn't bringing the ball forward. Thiago on the ball, sees passes. He does things that no other Liverpool midfielder can do. And they just tick. When those when when Fabinho and Thiago are in that team, they don't lose. Here's the stat. When Thiago plays for Liverpool, they win 81% of their games. And when he doesn't, they're in the 60% range. That's 20 points of winning percentage for one player being in their side. I don't think it's perfect. It's just anecdotal, but Thiago makes a difference. Now, <clears throat> we do have to talk about the goal that Kuda scored. For Ajax, again, Trent Alexander-Arnold, not tracking runners. I don't care what anyone says. I used to defend him and say, oh, he defends okay. He's terrible. He doesn't track runners. He doesn't track back. He was an incredible again on offense, but he's absolutely a fucking liability on defense. He basically gives up a goal-scoring chance per game, and if teams take it, it could end up being a goal per game. Like, he gives a... Point a half a goal expected goal chance up every game. No doubt about it. So your team is basically down. Now, does he create a half a goal again? Uh, does he almost create a goal a game? Almost. But it's got to be brutal for Liverpool fans to sort of 
defend and sort of hang in with Trent Alexander-Arnold every week. Now, Manny on the chat group, so please, the WhatsApp chat group, please pick up the link within the system, has been talking Liverpool a lot. We know you've had injuries. We know that, you know, you needed everyone to come back. I get it. But it was a big game that Liverpool needed to get back together and get their season back moving and backtracking into where it needed to be. Because it Liverpool just doesn't have the the depth and midfield that they need. If if Thiago and Fabinho are not there, they don't win. So it's a big deal. And um the he needs to be there. So Thiago Firmino, really good stuff. Liverpool's game has been postponed for this week because of security concerns. They were to play Chelsea in Stanford Bridge. That was a London game. So they won't be playing until after the international break. So Liverpool get a big time off. I mean, players are going to be going everywhere, but they won't play another Premier League game for another couple of weeks. Weird for some of these teams. Chelsea, Liverpool get the extra break due to the Queen. That bitch. Next, we go to City and who were playing Borussia Dortmund. And Pep plays John Stones at right back, plays Grealish, plays Mares. And when I tell you that the first half of this game was the worst half that City had played since the first half of the Champions League, I would not be lying. It was terrible. It was bad. They were doing nothing. Borussia Dortmund was shutting everything down. They played wide. They played deep. They blocked everything off. Jack Grealish had one move. He kept on trying to cut in and shoot. Just kept getting frustrated. He didn't seem to be able to do anything. Grealish's time at City has been really bad. He can't seem to get anything going. Mares on the other side, when they play together, it's a mess. So nothing was happening. It was terrible. And uh, I was worried. It had a very, these are the games that City loses feel to the game. <laughs> I know that sounds silly, but, and you watch City enough, you kind of know. On 56, Jude Bellingham, who was the best player in the game for Borussia Dortmund, comes in, gets everything moving. Scores a goal, immediately Pep freaks out. He's like, okay, fuck these guys. We're losing. Triple change. Off comes Gundogan. Off comes Mares. Off comes Grealish. Foden, Bernardo Silva, Julian Alvarez. Boom. City's momentum turn on. The gear goes up. <clears throat> they're fighting, they're fighting, they're fighting. Then, man of the moment, 80th minute, John Stones, edge of the box. Boom. Thunderbolt. Goes in, City are back level, feeling it. Borussia Dortmund are falling apart. Then, of course, cometh the man, cometh the out <coughs> outside of the boot. Bingo, bango, bongo, Holland, karate kick goal. Something out of Clash of the Titans, something out of another world. Outside of the boot from um, oh, Cancelo, an amazing cross. Everything was amazing about it. The service, the kick, the goal, City up. It's over. City see the game out. And it's all about Holland. He just gives City another dimension that wasn't there. 
He gives them a ball and a kick, a, a scoring option that wasn't there. Some way that when they can panic and don't have to create the perfect goal. They can just boot it. He's their Mauron Fellaini, except he's awesome. He's there. We just hoof it up. They can just cross it up to Holland and he'll get on it. But this goal was something of another world. He was six foot four. His foot is probably seven feet in the air, six foot, six and a half feet in the air, outside of the boot, past the goalkeeper. No problem. Amazing. And City see it out. This is something different. This is something City didn't have before. Even with Aguero, everything was on the ground. If I put it into a basketball analogy, City are a team that play with guards and dribble around and have to make nifty moves to the goal and you know do cool layups and have to dribble past people and make three passes to get one good shot. And Holland gives him a Giannis, gives him a Shaq. Put it to him down low and let him fucking dunk it. And that's what he is. Um, all the other players City had are more finesse, things like that where they have to walk it in. And Holland is just an animal. Dunk it on your head. Score that goal. See you later. I don't want to talk about it. Um, that's really the sort of our Champions League review for the big four of who's in the league. So Chelsea Potter gets his game there, 1-1. Spurs lose. Liverpool get back on track and Holland scores his goal. Let's get into the Premier League fixtures because they're a little bit funky. I'm just going to read them off because we have some things that are happening tomorrow. So match week seven all postponed. We're now into match week eight. There are three postponed matches due to security uh, for the Queen. Postponed matches, Brighton Crystal Palace is postponed. So Brighton have still not named a manager. Apparently Adam Lallana is running things. That's an actual derby. That's a really good game. Manchester United leads, not in London, but a high security event and the police needed for that game are unavailable. So that's canceled for security reasons. And then Chelsea-Liverpool, also a top-level security game, also canceled. For some reason, Tottenham-Leicester in London is not. I guess that's a low-risk game. They have a system. I think Mike touched on it last episode. So we have seven games. Two on Friday. First, Villa-Southampton. Villa coming off the draw, Southampton coming off a good, good, good event. This is really for Gerard to pull himself together. I would take Villa at home. It's got to be or the draw. Uh, I'm 40% on Villa, 50% on the draw. <laughs> uh, Forrest Fulham. I don't think Forrest are ready to put their 20 players together, and Fulham are really taking. Their promotion, they're, they're sort of two different ways to do it. Fulham are going with continuity with a key addition in Paulinho to defend. And Forrest, we know, have 22 new players. <clears throat> I don't think Forrest are quite ready yet. Take Fulham away to beat Forrest. Those are the Friday games. Saturday early. Early kickoff is City versus Wolves. 
this is a scary game. Um, Wolves have the best defense in the league or one of the best defense in the league. We may see Diego Costa, City coming off, playing on a Wednesday, and then the early game. I assume we'll see some changes, especially in defense. I suppose Diaz will come back in. Apologies for the voice. <clears throat> and then we have Newcastle Bournemouth. This is Eddie Howe's first game back against Bournemouth. We'll see how that goes. Bournemouth coming off a really good win against Forest. Castle don't have any wins, but they've been playing well. So they have a bunch of draws. You'd expect Castle to win, Newcastle to win this game. Then we have the postpone. And then the late game is Tottenham Leicester. Again, we talked about this a minute ago. Tottenham need to put in a performance. And this is a do or die moment for Leicester. If they have another bad performance or they get blown out, it's going to be trouble for them. <clears throat> and then um, Brentford Arsenal is going ahead, as far as I know. So that's one London game on Sunday, and then Everton-West Ham in the David Moyes Derby. So that's the week's fixtures. If we need to, let's go back, see where the league is right now in terms of standings. Top of the table, Arsenal <coughs> on 15. City and Tottenham's tied behind that on 14. Brighton in fourth, which got... Potter the job on 13, City on 12, Chelsea in 6th on 10, Liverpool in 7th on 9 with Brentford. The bottom of the relegation zone is West Ham and Forest on 4, along with Leicester City, who have yet to win a game on one point. Other notable teams in 11th, Newcastle, Fulham in 10th, Leeds in 9th, Brentford in 8th, Palace, Everton, Aston Villa. Your leading goal scorer, Erling Holland on 10, Mitrovic, Kane, Tony, McAllister. My voice is gone. I love you guys. I made it through a half hour. It's about as far as my throat can go. <laughs> I just want to make sure I cover everything. Yep, fixtures, Holland, Liverpool, Tottenham, Graham Potter. All right, gang. That was the Squeaky Bum Time podcast with not Mike and Laurent. We are the football wing of the Chop Sports Network. We record on Tuesdays and Fridays, so be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And if you're listening on Apple, please rate and review the show. We love you. Thank you. Mike will be back. Bye. <laughs>